Woke Pedagogy is a podcast that engages in critical conversations about inequities in our society. We are working to build inclusive spaces of teaching and learning that unapologetically and intentionally dialogue with issues that center on the lives and experiences of students, educators, and the community. In this episode of Woke Pedagogies, we continue the conversation on teaching race while white with Shannon Winnipst, professor and chair in the Department of Women's, Gender and Sexuality Studies. Dr. Winnipst joins us and further explores approaches to acknowledging how the ongoing social tensions present in society are already part of our classrooms and ways we can lower the temperature on these issues to create spaces for productive conversations. She offers what she has learned around creating spaces for students to engage the complexities of racial hierarchies and inequalities, while understanding how whiteness, including her own whiteness, informs these discussions. We're joined today by Shannon Winnips, professor and chair of the Department of Women's, Gender, and Sexuality Studies. Welcome, Shannon. Hello, good to be here. So many social, political, economic, epidemiological issues are facing the country right now. Um, how are you personally thinking about your role as a scholar educator in times like these? Yeah, it's unbelievably unprecedented times, really intense times. Um, I'd have to say, I think my primary role right now is to help students in the space of a classroom to lower the temperature a bit. Right. I always want to recognize and given the kinds of subjects I teach, the, what's happening in the outside world is always a part of what we're talking about in the classroom. But I think it's really our opportunity to help students understand how to become more centered in, in how they might be responding to things and also to introduce conversations that are difficult but don't always have to be held at a really high, what I'm calling high temperature, high heat, that we can calm things down and then begin to really have conversations about some of the difficult things. Uh, I don't do anything to try to pretend that they aren't happening and that they aren't affecting students and myself and that there are a lot of fears and anxieties and uh, intense emotions swirling around us right now. Like you said, you don't ignore what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but how do you acknowledge those things that students are, you know, processing or thinking about during this time. Not only do we have this pandemic of COVID-19, but also George Floyd. Um, how do you acknowledge that and bring it into the classroom for dialogue? Well, at the same time, like you said, uh, keeping the temperature down. So the courses that I teach are already on some of these topics. Most of the courses I teach are already dealing with questions of race and questions of sexuality and gender. Um, coming in the WGSS department, it's not unusual for our courses to be dealing with these things. Because I, I come from the discipline of philosophy, and so I'm thinking about theory, I'm sometimes able to help students get into a more abstract way of considering some of the questions at stake and thereby deepen some of their understandings. So for example, when the non-indictment really of the police officers charged with the murder of Breonna Taylor came forward, which happened two or three weeks ago, my students were clearly very upset about this. And so it would have been um, absurd 
not to have noticed how upset they all were. And yet we couldn't stay in that moment either, right? The repetition of uh, problems of police violence against communities of color and persons of color uh, means that we need to not see this as exceptional and thereby to be able to calm ourselves enough to get deeper into some of the histories and the dynamics that are allowing these things to happen. So I often frame things, whether it's something as heated as this, right, in this moment of of a Black Lives Matter movement, or if it's in my more everyday kinds of classes, um, I try to think about something that's happening in the world that I know my students either may already be paying attention to or that I think they ought to be paying attention to. And sometimes just bring that in as a kind of um, icebreaker for the session so that we can all sort of say, okay, so this is what happened since the last time we were together. Now, how do we think about this? And then, of course, how can we tie it to some of the conversations we've been having? So I'm very much a proponent of not ignoring what's happening outside of the classroom and instead finding ways to bring it in, even if it's just a, um, an introductory comment that, or a conversation that, that may just set the tone for the class and it may not actually carry through in terms of the subject matter. What an opportunity we have uh, in this year, or this semester in particular, right, in an election year um, mm-hmm. to empower the students to actually do something, not just sit in the classroom and, and think about and discuss, but there is something that we could do. So want to make clear that, uh, Shannon, you are white. want to make that apparent to our listeners. How do you address your own whiteness in conversations about justice that you have with your students? From the outset. I do it from the outset. And so, you know, when uh, I was thinking about this podcast and what I could bring to the question of how to teach race, I think it is about how to teach race as white instructors and white persons. Um, my work, my research has been around whiteness and the questions of whiteness and race for a long time. And I've been teaching about it for mm, close to 20 years. First of all, I think it's obligatory for white instructors and white faculty to take on the questions of race. One of the hallmarks of the privilege of being white is to think of ourselves as not having a race. And sometimes that's a point of departure for especially for undergrad students who come into my classes and are like, well, what's this about race? Are we just going to study other, you know, communities and histories of color? And immediately to turn that and say, no, we're also going to think about how whiteness functions as a race, even though it functions very differently from others. So I'm always um, making that apparent. Uh, what we do with that and how we move with that is all the, the questions of, um, so I think we have to be forthright. As white professors, I think we have to be courageous and show courage around this question. Uh, I don't think it does any good to try to dodge it or to try to act like it's not in the room when it is always in the room. And certainly now, given the Black Lives Matter movement, it's in the room more than I've ever seen it. And at the same time, I think we have to come at it with a lot of humility because um, I have a great deal constantly to learn, particularly from scholars of color about how to understand what it means not to be white in this culture, which I think is the primary point of departure. Um, There are a lot of great things written about whiteness uh, that that I bring into my classroom to teach. 
And there are always exercises to do, depending on what the level of the class is and who the students are. Uh, every classroom is different. We always have to be ready to read the demography of our classrooms. If there's only one or two students of color, that makes for a very different kind of conversation than if you have 40 to 50% of the students, students of color. And so that alters the conversations a great deal. As a white instructor, it is important um, to show that one has done your homework and that you know what the questions that are most salient around race are. No matter how much homework you've done though, it's always crucial to center the voices of students of color when they want to speak, but not at the same time to tokenize them as the authority on race in the classroom, which continues to happen in our classrooms. Uh, there's a great deal of um, trust that has to be built. I have to say that in my 20 plus years of teaching race as a white woman, uh, I have seen that question of trust from students of color get more and more intense. In other words, I think there's a greater and greater suspicion that what does this white lady have to tell me about race? And I think that that has to do um, particularly with the change in, in social times. And I think that's a good thing, right? I think it means that they're feeling more empowered around what they can demand from their instructors in classrooms. But if you, if you haven't done your homework on a subject that you wanna teach about, then you're going to have trouble building that trust. I also think there's a question of being at ease with talking about race. We're in such an intense time right now, particularly because white, people, I, I refer to us as like, I don't even know if we're kindergartners, right? We're like toddlers on the question of how to talk about race. And so coming to some greater literacy about it is the struggle that we all share. We all need to, and it's not, it's not easy for white folks to admit they don't know things. A hallmark of whiteness is to say, well, I know everything all the time. And I think one, again, humility is a really crucial aspect of, of doing this work. Right. Uh, you mentioned humility, um, and I think also being vulnerable, right, as an instructor in, in confessing in a way that you're also learning, there, that there are topics that you're still struggling with and dealing with. I ended a class today um, speaking about that. Like, there are things that, as we talk about race, um, immigrant communities, and things like that, there are things that come my way that might be new or might be a new perspective that I hadn't considered. And, um, and I'm open about those things with the students. And to me, that's also a way to gain trust. Is there uh, one or two things that, that you always do in, in your classes to uh, gain that trust from students of color, what would that be? That's a great question. And I certainly agree with the vulnerability issue that you're talking about, that there's always more to learn. And that feeds into one of the things that I always do. And this has played very differently across the 20 years or plus I've been doing this. But I always start seminars, start the entire semester in the first day. Um, making the claim that we are all uh, racists. And that claim has changed a great deal across those 20 years. And, and I have to say that I think that's interesting. But the, the deeper claim that I'm pushing at is to say we're all swimming in the same racist culture. 
And that if we admit that our culture has some profound problems of racism, then how can we possibly think that we aren't being shaped by those in some way? And so I start there always with, okay, what about this claim? We're all racist. What does it mean that we live in a deeply racist culture? And so we've all grown up in it. Uh, And then that allows all kinds of other conversations to come forward. Um, But I think always implicating myself in the problem from the outset. So I'll also say at various times, I will make that kind of learning um, quite visible and say, oh my gosh, you're right. You know, if I have a moment, which I always do when a student brings something up, particularly a student of color who says something about the world or their experience in it or something they know uh, that I didn't know, I, I play that out. And so I look for those moments to be able to say, wow, okay, I didn't know that. And now let's unpack why I didn't know that. And often the direction I take that isn't only like the failure of our educational system, which is, you know, miserable, but, but also to say, I didn't know that because that never occurred to me because I didn't think about that, because that just wasn't how I was moving through the world. And then it gives greater texture to, the, to this idea, which I'm pretty committed to, that we do move through the world quite differently, given our various racialized positions in this culture. So those are two things. You had earlier mentioned of wanting to avoid tokenizing in your class, uh, in mm-hmm. your classes. So uh, in, in a similar vein, how do you deal with those moments when other students might defer to students of color as the quote unquote experts on race or the spokesperson for all people of color? How do you, how do you handle and negotiate those moments? Yeah, so those are always tricky moments, but my default is to, and this is a general default, and this leads me into something else to talk about here, uh, is to, if I have to upset students, right, because it's going to upset someone to call them out about something like that, my default is always to upset the white students, right? So I have a kind of protective stance around students of color because I'm looking out for it because we know it's there. If it happens in a classroom, then I certainly always, you know, short circuit it and say, okay, what are we doing? Why should we assume that, that he knows this answer? And, and I play that out. Again, this has to do with the demographics of a classroom. There's only one or two students of color. It's a different issue. And then I have to sort of play the one who intercedes much more strongly. And that's more difficult pedagogically because it shuts down the students, right, who have said it. Um, But I'm willing to shut them down rather than to ever let it go. I never, ever let it go. Uh, If there are more students of color in the classroom, there's a greater space to be able to say, oh, because likely one of them is going to call it out. And then my role is more to back that up and to say, okay, but what's the dynamic here? So I never, ever let it go. I'm always aware of it and looking out for it and trying to see what happens. Now, I will say that I do do some work directly, especially in the classes that are directly on theories of race, um, on whiteness as a phenomenon. And so we do readings around how whiteness might be put together, um, questions of authority, questions of, of never thinking oneself having a race, questions of speaking in a voice that is universal and true for everyone, things like this. So I'm able to tie it in to those readings. But the thing that I think is... Um, important in these pedagogical moves is that if you're teaching race seriously 
in an environment like Ohio State, where the vast majority of students are white, you're not always going to be popular. You're not always going to get the most fantastic evaluations at the end of the course. Uh, you will likely get some from some students, and you might get a lot, but you may well alienate and make some students angry. And I'm not saying that that's a badge in itself. I would never want to say that. I do all I can possibly do not to alienate students. But I have seen that students, white students, um, can come to the end of my class and just think, wow, I mean, they will actually write it on evaluation. This woman does not like white people. And so, you know, again, I don't even see that as a badge. I see that as a, a problem that I failed somehow not to quite get through. But I just want to be real that, that's a, that it's a possibility of challenging white students on race as a white person is, first of all, something white people ought to be taking seriously. And secondly, may not always be a smooth pedagogical road. Shannon, a couple of times here, you've mentioned readings or books on whiteness that you use in your classes. Could you give us a couple of these titles? Absolutely. One of my absolute all-time favorites is, uh, is fairly old now. It was written in 1993. It's by Richard Dyer, D-Y-E-R, and it's just called White. It's a fantastic book. It's mostly about films, representations of whiteness in films, but the introduction to it does this overview of, of how to read whiteness and how to talk about it that's really effective. Uh, so that's one of my favorite books. Um, there's another book by Shannon Sullivan called Good White People, and it's very readable. And it's really good to teach in Ohio because it's so much about the problems of how uh, middle-class liberal white people think of ourselves. I would implicate myself as the most progressive of white people. And so we kind of tend to throw all the, the, the racism and bigotry onto lower class white folks. It's a great book about that. Shannon, you mentioned, you know, that you might not get the best uh, student evaluations when you, when you talk about race. And add to that, being a feminist, um, you know, that's a double <laughs> uh, reason maybe not to get uh, the best student evaluations. But um, certainly, right, we have to have these conversations. Yep. I mean, and I would say, and, I, and I'm not trying to say, oh, my, <laughs> my evaluations are fine, but you have to be ready to handle anger in your classroom and be ready to redirect that or get that to move in a more productive way such that students don't shut down. Right, right. Another thing that I do a lot at the beginning of classes is to play music. I just pick a song. And it's like, oh, I'm going to start this class with this song. And I try to choose across genres. I try to choose across, um, certainly across races and also across um, time periods. So sometimes it'll just be like a Nina Simone song, right? Which they would not, maybe not know. So I think that bringing in music, bringing in clips from popular culture, it helps to break the ice. It helps to make them feel like, oh, she's like on the one hand, like, so you have to pace your class, right? So that, so that you're not just always dwelling in this anger around race. You have to be able to give them a way out. Like, so sometimes I'll play a music video at the end and be like, whoa, this was a heavy conversation. So now we're going to end. And I think this is connected. 
like one time I played village people, YWCA. I was like, here, just look at this, check it out. And you know, they don't, and it's multiculturalism from the early eighties. And they're like, whoa, that's really dumb. And it's like, uh-huh. And that's what we've been talking about. You have to be ready for the anger and ready to, to move it. Shannon, uh, what suggestions or advice do you have for how faculty can engage more and talk more about race in their classes, especially if it's not a, you know, mm-hmm. a class that you teach, for example, uh, maybe right. more science or that's not the main topic, right, of, the, of that particular class? Yeah, I think this is the moment where we're really going to struggle with that question. And I have to say that the... Um, The math department at Ohio State is doing a fantastic job on this. They are really working it out and figuring out how to make math be about social issues. And so uh, on the one hand, I'm thinking, well, if math can do it, anyone can. Uh, I also think that given the histories of scientific racism in the United States and how profound they are and how persistent they are, even though they're not any longer as overt as they used to be, that there is a way in for any kind of science to be able to make some connection to a history of that discipline that perhaps they don't want to think about. And so I think there are uh, what I would call more endemic ways to get at it through these classes. But at the same time, I also think that this thing about what we began with, right, that there's so much happening in our world and the students are, they're swirling in it probably even more than we are just due to an age difference, that it makes sense for faculty to be able to bring some of these current things in just as a way of saying, hey, this is happening, so let's give this 10 or 15 minutes and then let's and then we'll move on to talking about whatever the topic might be. So to me it seems like there's a couple of connections. One is if any of us in this university thinks through carefully the history of our discipline, we will come into contact with problems around race. I would argue we'd also come into contact with problems around sexism. And so If we know that racism and sexism together and separately are functioning at the deep roots of the university and of each of our disciplines, then there has to be a way to make contact there. I wonder um, if there are any special expectations for us because we're a land-grant university. Do you see our land-grant mission informing how we engage this moment? So the land-grant mission is is such a complex and puzzling phenomenon to me. Um, so one of the things I talk about with my students is what it means to call this a land-grant university. And if you engage that conversation, you get into some very interesting places, right? The Morrill Act of 1862 that set up the land-grant uh, universities um, is rooted, uh, it's this terrific thing that we like to play up, right? That it opened up a liberal arts kind of education to people in agriculture and people in engineering. And and there's no doubt that it has. And in that regard, it's a um, very important piece of what it means to be a public institution. Um, at the same time, the Morrill Act was a clear piece of settler colonialism. Right? The Morrill Act, when it took those, it, 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 the range is between 11 and 17 million acres of land that were taken away from almost 250 different tribal nations 
And then it was to turn it into sciences of agriculture. So if we just sit with that history, then the land grant mission is a complex mission for us. Because on the one hand, it is this uh, progressive kind of notion of opening up education to the masses and to the public. And I think that's what we mean when we use it. And on the other hand, um, for Native people, it's seen as one of the most terrible expropriations of their land and their sovereignty that ever occurred. So uh, as, a, as a person in a land-grant institution, I think it is absolutely an obligation, um, a kind of moral obligation, to think through that history, which means we need to be talking about what the status of Native people is now and what those histories are. And we also need to be sure to be bringing that to as many people as possible. So we need to be educating precisely on these deep histories, and we need to be bringing it to every student, whether they're in engineering or pharmacy or public health or wherever they are, they need to know these histories. Shannon, are there any initiatives in the college or across the university that are promising for helping us in our pursuit of social justice? I think there are. I'm really pleased that the College of Arts and Sciences and particularly Dean Ritter has taken the... um, the social movement of Black Lives Matter from summer of 2020 that continues um, very seriously. And so I think there is a lot of energy in the college and I think there's a lot of energy in the university under President Johnson around really addressing racial justice and I would say social justice more broadly. And so I do have the sense as a chair of a department that's been doing this since that that is really, this is the defining, uh, the definition of what we're doing. I found it uh, to be a really hopeful moment where there's going to be, there are more opportunities and there's more encouragement and there's also more um, uh, regard, right? There's more recognition of what we have been doing to continue and to broaden the ideas around the teaching around social justice. The college held a five hour long retreat with all chairs of departments in August and gave us a clear charge that across the entire academic year of 2021, we need to be coming up with concrete changes in our departments, no matter where we are uh, on this issue. And so I think there's going to be greater collaboration across departments and across colleges. And I think that this can become a kind of defining issue that we all can commit that it's time for things to change at a deep cultural level. And I think Ohio State and particularly the College of Arts and Sciences is stepping up to say we're going to be at the center of that, not the center, but we're going to be a play a crucial part in moving this question and these issues forward. Shannon, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you both.